You like how we synced up our tracks there, Hannah? Mm-hmm, yeah, super impressed so far. <laughs> I'm just going to sit back and watch. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> okay. Welcome to Game of Owns. Night is dark and full of terrors. Welcome to our podcast. We're celebrating Emmy wins. Emmy wins. We're dancing. We're so happy. <laughs> we are dancing. If you've seen promotional material for our upcoming event in New York City, um, or you haven't, well, we're dancing. Enjoy. We're, we're dancing. We're, we're actually, I think, frolicking would be the right the right phrase for it. With I don't style. Know. We're both. Two out of the three of us are up on one on one leg, I think. Welcome to our podcast. It's very important that we say that here at the top of the show. Things are exciting. If you've kept up with Watchers on the Wall at all, you'll know that there are incredibly, let me think, what's the word for it? Vigorous updates for season six. Mm. Our story is progressing. You have been clicking egregiously through our new website. Everyone's having a great time with all of that. And it's just a really exciting time. Also, I think we have to mention that we have a special guest with us today. Yes. I think before we go any further. Should I introduce myself? (laughs) (laughs) That's usually how it works. We have two very important chapters, and we thought, well, if we're going back to the wall, if we're going to battle at Castle Black yet again, we're going to need some help. We're going to need some reinforcements. So today, our friend Hannah is here to join us. Thanks for having me. Hey, Hannah. Excited to be here. We're currently sharing a microphone. In Los Angeles, and this could be uh, one of the more interesting setups we've ever recorded our show in. So. It could get rough. <laughs> <laughs> it could get very rough. But I'm seeing a bunch of handwritten notes for these chapters, so I think that like we're we're in the you know what I mean. We're in the right mm-hmm. place. Yep, ready. Well, that's good because all disagreements will be now be settled by fistfights. <laughs> that's what I'm here for, really. Mm-hmm. No, I'm surprised that didn't happen when we were all around Eric's kitchen table a couple months ago. Ah, uh, you know, you guys were nice. You guys let it. me win most of those arguments. Mm-hmm. I think the last time we were all together was GeekyCon, and Eric was moments away, I guess, in, in your direct proximity during a Lost discussion at the Lost panel. And uh, before we started recording, uh, they had a, a miniature version of that. So I feel like we're all we're all perfectly placed in the mood here. We have to go back. Zach, you had mentioned the just long list of news that continues to pour in on Watchers on the Wall uh, related to Season 6, but there was a bit of news yesterday related to the Creative Arts Emmys, specifically for Season 5, and uh, Game of Thrones, which has been uh, nominated for a total of 24 Emmys, uh, picked up 8 in the uh, at the Creative Arts Ceremony, which uh, took place on Saturday evening. And uh, I think well-deserved in a number of these categories. It's nice to see them uh, get the respect that they deserve. Hopefully, that is a uh, sign of things to come. If only the wars to come would pan out with these sorts of victories. And Breaking Bad no longer exists, right? Right. We have to deal with Better Call Saul. And or, no, the Mad Men finale this year, though, unfortunately for everyone listening. You know how we, mm. we visit the Emmys every year and Micah waxes poetic about Breaking Bad and how that makes us feel. Well, mm-hmm. the, the Mad Men finale is this year, so it's going to be a challenge. But look at what we won. Outstanding special visual effects. For the Dance of Dragons. Casting for Hard Home, which I would agree with. Sound editing, sound mixing, stunt coordination. All of it is 
and and all of it features uh and make as well makeup visual effects all of it features sort of the look and feel uh of the series which i'd say they continue to up their game especially in season five with places like hard home and the train and uh, I was just going to mention outstanding sound editing for a series, which Zach knows something about. Oh, boy. Also for Hard Home, but... Uh, yeah, Hard Home was fantastic, sound-wise. Yeah, the, the, we, we talked about that, I think, at length on uh, that particular podcast following Hard Home's airing, just how ominous it felt in the build-up to the White Walkers showing up. Mm-hmm. And when they showed up, and when the children... We're standing in that very yeah. dark and dangerous shot. The strings and they were all rose <laughs> at the end. At at that point, it was just the howling wind. Anyway, so what we're saying, long story short, everyone, is that this is so proper. I feel like remember the the thoughts about the dragon and the dance of dragons, but yeah, mm-hmm. the Emmy is one here. I suppose the words to remember are. Creating that level of work for television is really hard, and so it's it's cool to see them get uh, the credit they deserve, especially from the Emmys, which we've sort of historically seen a, a bit of a snub happen. So, a bit. It's good to see that at least the people that are putting in so much time to make the show technically as beautiful as it is, in addition to what George is laying down, it's just like. That's that's fun. And uh, for those of you who want to watch the Creative Arts Emmys, they will air on FX on September 19th. And then next Sunday is the actual Emmys. And uh, we know that uh, Game of Thrones is up in a couple of major categories there. So hopefully Breaking Bad doesn't find its way (laughs) somehow back into the the nominations. I will say I have been enjoying Better Call Saul. But uh, not as much as I enjoy Game of Thrones. That much is clear. No, you have like a Better Call Saul podcast you're not telling us about. (laughs) (laughs) He actually invited me to be on it. What? It's actually, yeah, it's called Better Call Owns. Oh, I um, see. Better Own Saul. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I've just changed the name of the podcast to your suggestion. Um, Yeah, so Hannah and I will be doing that after this, but in the meantime. In other exciting news, we will in just a few short weeks be in New York City for comic-con and uh we have a uh, little live show going on at the hard rock cafe in times square on friday october 9th with our good friend christian nairn and what other surprises and other surprises that Who hopefully knows? can be revealed in the coming days <laughs> but speaking of revealing things that poster guys which we talked about yeah um, absolutely just really sets the tone for the evening i think Zach, can I ask you a question though? Did did you tell the designer to, for me in particular, have me do my best Darunia impression? <laughs> I didn't. Um, um, actually, Mike, uh, the illustrator who worked on this piece, uh, is a is a listener of the show, and which is a strange way how this all worked out. But took a really rough sketch of mine and 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 made it lots more uh, interesting. If that's a phrase that makes sense, than it is. Um, we've been sitting here laughing about it, and I'm—I don't know. It's—it's it's like my goal now is for everyone that's listening. Sorry if there's any administration from New York Comic Con or Hard Rock Cafe uh, listening, uh, is to make the evening end just as our poster and our <laughs> promotion with all of us coming back to life, <laughs> uh, the, 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 the throne room ablaze, uh, yeah. and Christian uh, making music atop a pile of uh, of swords. 
So <laughs> the original sketch is on the Game of Bones Instagram, and I'm assuming the poster will go up as well. So be interesting to see the uh, the original and the finished product. Yeah. Well, I just wanted to make sure people saw how terrible it was before someone professional worked on it. Let's uh, let's lower the bar and then and then surpass all of everyone's expectations. Yes. So that's those are housekeeping bits. Um, keep up with all that stuff, folks, because the, the weeks are moving forward. Uh, the storm is raging on. A little call. We're sailing away. We have two outstanding chapters. I know that, Micah, at the end of last week's episode, you were like, oh, you know when there's a Davos chapter, there's going to be Simone's. Um, I felt like with these two chapters, just overarchingly, I got a lot of goosebumps. A lot of like, oh, this kind of moment is happening. We're getting some sort of an emotional payoff that we don't normally get. And it felt nice. No, it did. I mean, any chapter is a good chapter that begins with a nice little firelight and some prayer, right? I was just surprised they weren't burning anybody. I know. Yeah, me too. Me too. You know, Davos Davos notes that there's fewer people in attendance than there was the night before. So I don't know if maybe they burned them for the morning mass. Just before we recorded, I was like, uh, hey, I was talking to Hannah. I said, do you, what was the, did I, did I miss something at the start of the chapter? But what were the, what, what were we meeting for? And I was like, oh no, they were just. They, they weren't were, killing anybody. They were just like chanting. They were just meeting and praying and For chanting. Once. It's their nightly thing. I think what they're doing, technically, it says in the book, is they're praying for the sun to return to them the next day, which seems harsh, but in this world, you quite never know when another long night is coming, right? Yeah, exactly. I see what you did there. <laughs> I guess. I mean, I just guess it's something that you have to do. Every night, I don on my pair of expensive roller blades. <laughs> I feel confident in the, the sun returning the next day. We we always talk about um, the chapters that we do for Game of Bones connecting with one another, and I really enjoyed the prayer parts of this chapter. We basically get uh, a lot of of the the prayers, what they're actually saying to Roller, led by the Lady Mont- Melisandre. But you know, in the next chapter too, we hear certain people praying to the Seven. Uh, and the mother and prayer in general, religion in general is back in a big way. I don't think Sansa had much to do with it previously. Tyrion's not thinking about the gods, or maybe he is because he's about to, you know, be sentenced to death. But it was just interesting to see that that come back and again to question the validity of some of these religions. Yeah, there's also a strong connection between the ending of this chapter and then going immediately to the wall. Well, yeah, yeah, for sure. No, I I, I was wondering because. Is this not slightly, it's just, we get these bold endings to the chapters, and I thought, how to, George managed to add a level to the boldness by making it not something that was necessarily hard-hitting, but Davos is kneeling and reading to Stannis. When you think about that scene happening in front of you, it's like, oh, okay, well, this isn't Arya being taken in the back of the head with an axe, but this is this is Davos sharing the news, we can only assume, of what he found beforehand, and uh, the stakes are very high because of what he just did with oh my God. Edric Stormbringer. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Further, furthermore, it says he's reading by the light of the magic sword. So, like, yeah. Stannis is about to cut his head off, <laughs> and and the sword itself is is glowing in a way that Davos can read the letter from that light. It's it's he's that's how close he comes to death. Very very well written, but of course he dies because he's in this chapter going to set. Edric Storm free, so that he is not yet another um, victim of the religious right. And of course, in the show, it's Gendry who he saves 
So substituting one of Robert's bastards for, for another, another one. No, I can see why they changed it. I mean, uh, we we didn't. There just wasn't time to sort of introduce us to this other character in Edric Storm when Gendry, having him escape. Obviously, the the viewers know him for a little bit longer. And we got that nice Melisandre visiting Arya moment where it was strange to see her in a wooded area outside of the gargantuan gargoyles of Dragonstone and sort of just like give Arya that. Remember the moment between them where he was, she was like, I see death in you. And I was just like, oh, wow. So it was, it, that was an interesting, a great example of, of, uh, of bending things uh, to increase like the narrative in the show versus what's happening in the books. But I really like Edric Storm. And I don't know this chapter specifically uh, among the other ones because a lot of his goodness and a lot of the kind of the character that he is is spoken by in proxy. But uh, and in this chapter, we got to get kind of a firsthand account of how he felt and and even seeing the way that he trusted Davos. I just felt I don't know it it warmed me up to him even more because we know how we feel about Davos. So it just a, a lot of yeah. good things are in his favor right now. Mm-hmm. Edric's a sweetheart. Compared to Robert's, you know, Robert's real offspring, like Edric is actually a good guy compared to like Joffrey or something <laughs> like that. And so, you know, his real kids are actually decent people. And then the people who are supposedly his children are the worst. No, Ed- Edric is a good boy. He he's he likes history. <laughs> he likes learning. Uh, Meister Pylos is is in class with him when when Davos comes to rescue him. And it's just it's it's sweet and innocent. And I think that's really meant to underscore why Davos is doing what he's doing. It's really harsh to see him this boy consumed by the flame you don't want that to happen it's a much different escape too than the one we got a couple of chapters ago with Sansa Sansa is running away from murder and here you have Edric Storm escaping not necessarily because he wants to but for his own protection so Mm. tying just the the actions that are happening in in some of these chapters together I, I I wondered when I was reading this chapter if Sansa and Edric would cross paths with each other as they were sailing away from their respective uh, <laughs> sail by each other, or or Edric uh, sails past a uh, little rowboat with Dantos floating <laughs> Dantos. by. Uh, beautiful. I love I love it. We need to pitch this as a as a just a slight mini series. It's like it's not a prologue. It's not an epilogue. It's during, but the stuff we didn't see. There's also this small change in that Davos does not act alone. Davos has a small band of I guess you'd call it a few good men who are of the same uh, mindset that Davos is and actually assist in, in Edric's escape. People like Gerald Gower, Andrew Estermont, and the Bastard of Night Song. You know, they they're all sort of. They're following the hand's lead, but the way Davos spins it, and especially to Edric too, is that he's speaking for the king. He He's like, look, you know, Stannis is not in the right mindset. He says in the beginning when he's watching them pray, Stannis is with them, but he's not among them. You know, he's just kind of clinging to this religion because he thinks it's going to achieve uh, his ends. But he, Davos thinks he knows better. Davos thinks he knows what the right thing to do is and that's why he re- you know rescues this boy yeah the the religious aspect of it starts to take a few you know hits or, or have a few chinks in the armor uh I, I highlighted the same thing that you just read about stannis but then the fact that there are fewer voices saying the responses than there had been the night before uh it, you know it it seems as if the trust in this religion is slowly waning and, and nothing is more evident of that later on in the chapter 
when when Davos kind of throws it into Melisandre's face that she didn't foresee mm. Edric Storm escaping from Dragonstone. A slight shudder. You didn't see this in your flames? You didn't see this in all the study of your flames, Melisandre? Did you look and maybe see red mice darting around in the fire? Oh, mm. man. That was, that was a good line. Davos may have found out the key to, like, not... Again, escaping her, right? Because he said that um, he basically acts in an indirect way to let Edric escape. His plan does not involve attacking Melisandre directly because he fears that's way too close, that she will see an attempt on her own life in the flames. So it's interesting how that works um, because by acting without her, he snuck it by her. Well, and I like how he kind of just says to basically ignore her. Yeah. Maybe we don't pay attention or she won't, you know, nothing's going to come <laughs> from it. Just like let her do her thing without anybody else. Yeah. Something um, that I was thinking about with Davos a lot in this chapter, to get philosophical for half a second, um, but it reminded me a lot of categorical imperative and just like this idea of what it means to make right choices. And it reminded me a lot of this philosophical thing that I'm going to talk about for half a second. So this idea that there's universal laws for morality and to Davos, it seems like everything's very black and white for him. You know, it's either good or it's not good. Um, and this idea that we can't use people as a means to an end mm -hmm. and whatever Melisandre has in store for Stannis, you know, it doesn't matter because there's people in the way and those people are more important than this overall greater good, I guess, is yeah, what she duty. keeps saying. <laughs> yeah. I feel like this is the point that Davos makes at the end of the chapter when he's speaking about, you know, did you not charge me to defend your people, essentially, to speak as the king's hand and does the king not defend his people is Edric Storm not your people, is what I did not write. Yeah, I mean, not only is he his people, he's his kin. And that's another one of Davos's big no-nos. It's like, you don't kill kin. But I have to say that perhaps in light of what happened between Davos and Shireen on the series, uh, which we've just seen quite recently, it's almost too soon to bring it up. Um, but in light of that, and sort of reading his arguments again here for sacrificing Edric, um, he truly believes that because Mel because Melisandre has told him uh, to believe that a sacrifice of this boy will save tens of thousands of of everyone in the realm, and you kind of you don't necessarily have to believe it along with him, but to just know that Stannis really believes that you kind of it kind of works to help see why he nearly kills Davos for it because he really feels like this is the the way forward. Nobody else has has sort of made it, given him another option. There's, there's been no proof thus far that anything that Melisandre says has any validity to it, right? Uh, uh, with the exception of her burning the leeches, and now we have a third Jeffrey's. king that yeah. is dead that gets mentioned as they're coming up uh, to meet with Davos in this chapter. And I think that it is interesting to watch Stannis uh, and, and sort of his internal struggle with whether he actually truly does believe in, in this religion or he's just using it as a means to an end. I, I tend to think that he's using it as a means to an end, whereas somebody like Solis may truly believe in the religion itself. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, and going back to Davos for a second, though, I think he sees a lot of his son in, in Edric, and he's lost so many of his sons um, during the Battle of Blackwater, that I don't think he could stand to see another child, uh, it, you know, really 
taken in in the way that Melisandre is looking to to take Edric and to sacrifice him. Uh, but I wonder deep down inside, knowing what's taken place in the fifth season, if by releasing Edric, just like he released Gendry, has he condemned Shireen? Damn you, Micah. That's a good question. I didn't even think about that. Have you condemned Shireen by bringing it up on our podcast, Micah? <laughs> no, Benioff and Weiss condemned Shireen. One thing I was thinking about again through reading this was that Blackwater was really a huge setback for them and, and their religion. And the fact that there are fewer people praying every night just shows that they need something like, um, well, they need results. They they really want to see what the following the Lord of Light can continue to do. And of course, Melisandre was all too willing to, to show them with the sacrifice of Edric. But now that that's gone too, you kind of wonder unless there's a quick turnaround like there was in the series of Davos presenting the letter and then Melisandre more to save herself than anything saying, oh yeah, this is where the real fight lies. Um, You know, unless it happens as quickly there, I'd like to see more people sort of either desert Stannis because they're not seeing the results or actually continue to follow Stannis because he, as it turns out, didn't kill his own kid. I kind of wonder where the loyalties along, along the ranks will go, but I guess we know where Salador San's loyalties lie because Salador San helped, you know, let the boy escape to begin with. And he's sort of, I love how Davos can just count on him anytime he needs a coup. Like, he's just like, hey, <laughs> Sala. You know? We're friends. And he calls him Sala, which is totally cool. Reminds me of uh, Raids of the Lost Ark. And he, and he escapes in very much the same way that Sansa escapes a couple chapters ago. Uh, Davos mentions there's a boat waiting to row you to a galley. Little boat to a big boat to escape. And then, then it's off across the sea. So uh, we we know Edric is is heading across the narrow sea uh, to where maybe at some point in the future we'll find out. Maybe not. <sighs> maybe he'll just keep rowing forever. <laughs> <laughs> like other, like other bastards of Robert. I feel like is is Edric rowing himself though is the question. I don't think so. Yeah. So Gendry is not quite the same. Yeah. Gendry's multiple reps. Putting in the work. Putting in the work. He'll be, he'll be here one day with us. I hope. I wanted to ask about uh, Dragonstone in general, because there's a lot of references to the waking of dragons. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In this chapter. And Mm -hmm. and it's happened before as, as Davos has walked around. And, and I wonder if it's alluding to anything in the future, or do you just think there's this fear not just in Davos, but in people in general who who live on Dragonstone, that at some point these dragons may come alive, or perhaps they were alive in the past and they've right. sort of been frozen in time. Well, I know we've, we've spoken about this before, and I always hearken back to those of you listening to dive into the world of Ice and Fire, uh, either the companion book or actually just start Googling through those images and feel mm-hmm. Places and I, I, Dragonstone is kind of like the, the the safe bet. It's like just look up what Dragonstone should look like, or look at uh, the Iron Throne from our New York Comic Con uh, poster. Uh, like this is this is the the world that George envisioned, and this is the place that Davos is skirting around um, when he's directing the escape of Edric Storm when he's making his way back up to the Painted Table, uh, and, and this is the place that he's he's seeing structures. That are you know, sharp in actual form, but but sharp and just that that is what he's seeing while he's thinking out loud, or while he's thinking to himself when he's considering his life and how he's become a lord. He's looking at gargoyles that cast shadows that play tricks on your eyes and may move. I mean, this is this is a strange place, and at the same time, it's a familiar place for him, and it's just it's just bred a really really cool environment. 
and I, I always read these chapters, and I, I think kind of what you were just asking, Micah, I, I ask myself, will this be part of the story later? Like, will stone dragons actually be woken? Or is, it, is it just part of the imagery that these people are speaking about when it's, especially it's so close to uh, a long stream of religious talk? Like, is this just on top of it? Is this just, you know, he spaketh this, or the stone dragons will rise, and blah, blah, blah. Or will they actually awake? And I, I can't quite make a decision on that because uh, shadow babies come out of people's bodies, as we've mentioned. <laughs> and so it's like all kind of up in the air. Yeah. I mean, this has been Stannis' stronghold for, for some time now, and it was what way before he found the Red Religion. But you almost get a sense that maybe he's closer to the founders, the Targaryens, now than he's ever been with the Red Religion, sacrificing people to flame. Uh, Davos has that interior monologue where he thinks about um, the fact that this is not, you know, their place. This was uh, the Targaryens' place. This used to be the home of dragons and dragon lords and the seat, in fact, of House Targaryen, the blood of old Valyria. So knowing the magic that we think about when we even hear that name Valyria, I mean, anything is possible. George juxtaposes religious verse prayers with these myths, and I think it's, at least it appears that his whole modus operandi here is to reveal gradually through different chapters and different books that these myths, these religions are kind of maybe one and the same or complementary, but I, I think it'd be very surprised, surprising if those dragons and gargoyles didn't one day just get up uh, and fly away, knowing that every time Davos passes them, he has that thought every single time. It's, I don't know, it's, it seems like a, could be a red herring, but it seems right. uh, to be indicative of something very cool that's coming. It's part of the mystery that we've experienced so far, because right. you know, there's fire ladders in the east, uh, and there's actual dragons. It's just, I don't know. I, I, I love it, though, because we know that White Walkers exist, and that kind of <laughs> just, it's just one of the great things about this world, because we don't know, uh, with as much realism as we're given, you know, we don't know if things like stone dragons are just too, are, are too crazy. When in the next chapter, we have people that maybe may not have believed in giants or mammoths and boom there they are we're only missing the grumpkins and the snark <laughs> yeah now you now you're now you're tasked with yeah. shooting a man like <laughs> yeah, bringing now, one down i feel that a strong mechanic of all of this is just giving us passive history through the uh environment that davos is in mm. and the constant mentioning of the targaryens and his thought toward the targaryens like what you were just saying eric i think it's a great way within the story that we're being told which is a current story through the narrative of a character that we care about we're passively learning about the world, which will be important as we reach later parts in the story. And it will help make those big moments where maybe Targaryens are involved or maybe even dragons are involved. We'll feel the history behind all of it because we've been picking it up along the way, piece by piece in chapters like this. I got, I got a strong sense in this chapter, too, that Davos really just wants to go home. Uh, he mentions, you know, if he survives the night, that he would want to just take his son and, and go home and, and see his wife and raise the rest of their children and, and not really have a second thought. And there's also the moment uh, when he's looking at the sky and, and, you know, he's looking at familiar stars and, and what he calls smuggler stars and, and that they're his old friends. And he was hopeful that, that, that meant good fortune for him. And, and that I think really, Maybe it goes back to a little bit of what Hannah was talking about earlier, that how he just sees everything in, in such black and white. Uh, but it, 
to me, I don't think Davos really wants to be here. He's loyal to Stannis, yes, but at the end of the day, I think he just wants to leave. He He's had enough of all of this. Yeah, and it, it kind of reminded me a little bit of something that Littlefinger said a couple pages back in the last chapter about you know how this is the only game that matters is the Game of Thrones um, and how he's kind of caught up in this almost against, not against his will, but you know he wants to go home, but can he really? But he's not a player, though. Like To him, I don't think the Game of Thrones matters at all. No, except that he would want to see... He feels it's his duty to help Stannis out with, with Stannis' claim. That's what I think. I think that I don't think he could get out if he wanted to. I mean, well, just think about what his escape plan is. I mean, think about what his um, trump card is, is this letter talking about how insurmountable the forces north of the wall are. And that is what he's going to play to sort of, if it plays out anything like it did in the show, just to show that he is he's valuable to King Stannis in a way that King Stannis needs um, in order to basically get you know more people to his cause, and seeing as how that's Davos's whole plan, why Stannis shouldn't kill him, I think he's sort of giving himself up or giving up the the notion of his own freedom or peace to basically serve him, but not be cut short. So he he kind of wants it both ways. He he wants to be able to uh, free Edric Storm and prevent Stannis from killing his own kin. But he sees that as kind of, you know, just doing his duty anyway. And he still wants to be sort of above reproach to the point where he's going to continue to help Stannis, but only Stannis doesn't kill him. I don't know. It's Again, he's he's sort of the most, we've talked about this before, he's sort of the most loyal character um, in all of, of Game of Thrones that we that we'll read about. Davos is the shit. The, is, I was going to ask if if those are his house words. <laughs> what, we are, we are the shit. Uh, what would his what would his house words be? Uh, I'm not crying. You're crying. He's the onion. He's the onion knight. Yeah, we get uh, it. Stop me while I'm ahead. Um, he's like thinking about what Stannis is thinking at the beginning of the chapter. He's like, what what my king is thinking. Oh, Stannis, thank you for chopping off my fingers. I needed that. I'm sad that he lost them. Do you, you guys get like emotional when he reached up? For yeah, his I remember. Luck and it wasn't there. Actually, I think it was our episode last year, Emmy Rock, which was we were talking about the Emmys, and Davos was on a rock, which yeah. is very strange. But that's when it, it happened, and we kind of got to <laughs> see that or feel, you know, actually properly read that scene and uh, you know experience in text what we saw, his like pockmarked face, and how thirsty he was, and dealing with the muscles down below. Uh, mm outside of Blackwater Bay. And here we are all of, you know, a year later, all of these chapters later in a storm of swords. And, um, Davos is in another dangerous position. He's literally reading by the light of Lightbringer, which, it, you know, I feel like this chapter went inside and outside of being mythical in a way. And uh, sometimes it was an escape. Sometimes it was interior monologue. Sometimes it was Melisandre being creepy with a glowing jewel. And at one point the King, or the king to these people pulls out a sword that is supposedly magical and someone reads by the light of it. I mean, that's pretty awesome. George R. R. Martin. That's pretty cool. What did you think of the confrontation or lack thereof between Stannis and Davos? Uh, once Davos reveals that Edric has escaped or that he's gone. I expected Stannis to be a little bit more mad than he was. Yeah. I mean, He's reaching, he's like, do you want me to give you a new bag of luck? You know, <laughs> cut off more of his fingers or something. I think it's weird how Stannis handles it because he kind of turns, as you said earlier, Micah, he takes it and turns it on 
Melisandre, but didn't you see this? Um, he's kind of, I don't want to say almost silently thanking Davos for, for what he did. So you're saying deep down he didn't want to sacrifice him. Uh, it's hard to say, but well, I think he did. I well, think he, he said straight up he didn't want to, remember? Yeah, he was just like, I don't want to do this. It's just, But he know. truly believes it was necessary, and for that he is going to kill Davos uh for it but but i think a part of him was relieved that he wouldn't have to do that this goes back to what i was saying before in in terms of how much stannis actually believes in the effects of what melisandre is doing because it ties into what you just said uh about him not necessarily wanting to do it but believing that the sacrifice itself would Mm -hmm. lead to some greater good it's when uh he learns about Tyrion having killed joffrey uh, he has the line, dwarf or leech, this killer served the kingdom well. Yeah. And the fact that he's he's going back and forth as to whether or not it was the dwarf or the leech leads me to believe that he doesn't really believe strongly in this religion. Yeah, that's a good point. He also recounted a terrible story about Joffrey killing a kitten. I know. Oh. That was rough. I had to reread that yeah. passage a few times. I was like, hold on a second. Oh, wow. I mean... It paints, you know, that's what Joffrey is. For everyone listening that's not reading along with us, essentially, Joffrey found out uh, one of the kitchen kittens, which is the new name of my punk band, is the kitchen was pregnant. And he was like, I want to see where the kittens are. So he cut it open with a dagger. And then uh, Stannis said that Robert struck him so hard when he found out that he thought he killed him. So I don't know. That's just a rough situation on both sides for Joffrey. It's just funny how these little tidbits come. You just have Stannis with this aside about, oh, yeah, that boy needed to go. He was a monster. Um, chapters later, you know, then that the chapter where he actually dies, we were talking about how terrible he is to Tyrion, sort of just that last ounce of uh, reminder in the Sansa chapter as well that, that Joffrey is a monster and needs to die. But now, almost after his death, after everybody sort of, not made their peace with it, but people are kind of moving on. You still get it. You still get more stories about how terrible Joffrey was. Kind of like, don't forget. It's a great literary technique to sort of allow you to, if anybody at this point was ever in mourning, uh, to to kind of snap out of him and be like, yeah, he kind of did need killing. Yeah, George is telling us after the fact. He's like, hey, by the way, I know that I killed Joffrey in a very violent way, but he he killed a kitten and its babies. (laughs) So what... You should really take out of this is that Stannis has a soft spot for cats. <laughs> He's not quite yes, like I think Baelish, that's exactly what I took out of yeah. this. <laughs> I also caught where I just, I don't know, it gave me, I just love when our characters interact, even theoretically. But when he referred to Tyrion, he goes, all right, he's a dangerous man. I was like, you're damn right he is. Yeah. Like, good on Stannis for not sliding Tyrion based on his you know, physical limitations, which I think that is just like a, a default for a lot of these characters, you know, yeah. just for calling him an imp constantly. Um, yeah, as well, so even, do. even Jamie, it's just like, it bothers me. It just doesn't make much sense, but I guess that's just w- the way that they're referred to in the seven kingdoms, which is okay. Fine. That's how the time is. But the fact that he, you know, Tyrion's a dangerous man. I feel like we got exposition on Joffrey, but I feel like we also might be getting a little bit of foreshadowing on Tyrion in the future, which makes me very happy. I mean, just knowing that Stannis is sort of sizing him up. um, Yeah, even caring about him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're right. I mean, he just doesn't limit it to his appearance. He recognizes that Tyrion actually strategically foiled him, he himself, Stannis, and Stannis barely escaped with his life. So it's, it's kind of... 
it's important. Like, whereas Stannis may have underestimated him before, he certainly won't be doing it again. And, I mean, I think that Tyrion doesn't get a lot of credit all the time for for Blackwater, so it's kind of nice to give him a little credit there. Yeah. So this chapter comes to a close with Davos reading a letter to Stannis. Mm -hmm. And uh, for those of us who have seen the TV show, we know what uh, that letter entails. I'm not really sure. Do we know... Well, I guess we'll find out how it it plays out in the books, but from what Davos was reading in his previous chapter when he was sitting down Mm. and learning to read, do we know that this letter is from the wall? I think that's part of what the cliffhanger is for the end of that chapter, which is like we know what he had just been reading and we know how big of news that was, but part of like we, we can't be sure if that's what he's reading in, you know? We'll have to find out in the next Davos chapter. But it doesn't hurt right. that the following chapter is John and the second half of the Royal Rumble north of everything <laughs> else. <laughs> it's rough. It's tough. It's here. It's John Snow. Part two. Part yeah. two. We talked about how we had that whole chapter dedicated to fending off the Thens from south, from their, their advancement south of the, the wall. And now we have the part where Mance and the Woolly mammoths and the giants and the everybody's sieging, seizing the tra- you know, trying from the north. It it was really a a, a very cool chapter actually for for a yeah. lot of different reasons. These um, are so good. Fa- yeah, like it was really good. It ends really interestingly, really well. But like it begins as so many chapters have before with a dream, a dream of of Winterfell and Dreaming and wolves, and we're reminded that in these books, I mean, John knows. He's a warg. John knows that you know he's ha- he's had similar experiences, wolf dreams, like other Stark siblings. Um, he's had these, and they are a part of him. Father, Bran, Rickon, and all I could think was, "You're not going to see Rickon for a while, pal." Uh, <laughs> Uncle Ben, uh, Jen, <laughs> <laughs> Uncle Rob, Aunt Georgette, home, <laughs> Uncle Owen, <laughs> Amber. <laughs> <laughs> John was awoken by drums. Well, and I love how he just doesn't want to get out of bed. Like, he just yeah. knows. Yeah. Here's the quote from the book. John had to get up and go to the wall, he knew. But it was so hard. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what it says. I mean, I think it's meant to overscore, obviously. Um, There's dot, dot. <laughs> yeah, but it was so hard. <laughs> oh, God. I think that. Really, just knowing what is offered, knowing what John, knowing what happens to John in this chapter, uh, having just read it and seeing that he is made at first sort of de facto leader, um, and then at the end he gets that huge. Are we going uh, there with our emotions, Eric? You're already going to bring that up. I don't know if I can handle it. I am because it starts with him not wanting to get out of bed, and so knowing where it goes, I just think that's really meant to to show that John doesn't want his his greatness. Right? Some are born great, others have greatness thrust upon them. I think John is clearly a capable commander, but he doesn't ask for to, to be put in charge by Donald Noy. He doesn't ask for Meister Eamon to say those kind things about him at the end. So I, I think that's kind of just the point in starting this chapter off with John <laughs> doesn't want to get out of bed. The horns are blowing, but are they part of a dream? Are they, you know, not part of a dream? It's kind of it's just meant to show that he is a good character. He's a good person competent leader but he's not sort of like cutthroat the way that we've seen other characters be i think that it's also 
telling of the nature of the kinds of people who who may be thrust into power or maybe eventually have power like it's such such a great point um connecting him waking up with with what happens at the end of the chapter um uh, because he very much so uh does john snow becomes great in this chapter i did not see it coming this was <laughs> alistair thorne's speech essentially this was this was not what we got i mean john definitely had his moments in the TV show, and we got to see it in IMAX, so we got to feel it in in grandeur. Uh, but a lot of his was was combat oriented, and really just just having the 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 gumption to lead the wall once it was handed off to him. But in this chapter, he was he he was he was the strength, you know. He was he was the the confidence. He was the passion. In addition to being the person who fought, he had a crutch, and he didn't know what he was doing. But he began speaking, and his thoughts, and we'll get into it later, his thoughts eventually led to louder speaking, to shouting, to yelling, to laughing along with the men, to madness, to leading them into battle against Mance's entire host uh, with their small number, their straw men, and the wall. And he became great. I'm very impressed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and also it's great to watch them kind of the rest of the brothers rally behind him. You know, not only does John kind of take over, take into this role and do well and excel, but everybody else believes in him too and is just as excited and takes to his role. And I, that's really satisfying. Was. Yeah. At, at, at this juncture, John doesn't have a rival. John does not have, there's nobody else on top of the wall that is strong willed enough to actually give out a speech when one is needed. The way that John stumbles into the speech, he's almost talking to himself at first. Right, exactly. But then he realizes that every ear is trained on him, and then it's just like he forges forward, and it becomes this rallying cry, but it's, it was never intended to be that. It was just sort of, I mean, they've just fought a battle all night at that point, and there's more coming, and it's like there's a switch that turns on when John could have, like, not said something and and everybody would have, like, sort of just lost the will to keep fighting. Not, I mean, they are still winning. But you get the feeling that they were all just kind of really exhausted and wouldn't have tried and wouldn't have won or battled as successfully if it weren't for John speaking up. I really love this chapter. Give me so it's many really feelings. Good. And a lot of it was riddled with the, you know, what happens in the middle of a battle, whether it was pitch being tossed or oil burning. Did you notice that like at one point or like during the night, it kind of skips ahead a little bit while still maintaining his POV? I can't recall another time when it's done that, but because there is so much to this battle, even to this half of the battle, uh, which is the battle against foes North, um, George actually kind of skips throughout the night by saying uh, John didn't quite know how he got through the next few hours. And he's able to do just sort of this broad sweeping summary in the middle of it and then come right back to uh, his rousing speech and sort of leading leading the way. I don't know, it's it's kind of effectively done, but it's a different way of writing a story than we've Well, seen now we know why he got its own episode in season four. Yeah. They, they didn't even know that morning had approached, right? Isn't that how it's written? Yeah. Like how about night out. Pip, Gren? Yes. Make it through. Yep. Yeah. I know. I was so pleased seeing them on the wall fighting, like fighting alongside. Honestly, I don't know how to organize my thoughts on this chapter uh, because there were so many like moments of relish like that. The fact that first off that they're dead to us, but now they're not as we're reading along in the books. 
Um, and then, of course, when John hands off the wall to, to Grant at the end of the night, it's just like, I don't know. I can definitely see on paper how people would go, oh, wait, that's way different. It's almost the opposite, right? You're dead under, you're dead in a tunnel buried under 900 feet of snow or you're leading and commanding the watch. Yeah, exactly. Um, temporarily, albeit, but from on top of the wall complete opposite ends i don't know it's weird because now i wonder if gren will amount to anything as cool in the books that he just did because if his role if it was sort of okay to kill him off um but ultimately that uh doesn't necessarily matter because the books are the books and the shows the show right You're right so. but the top of this wall uh is a much darker foe we're looking over and mance's army are shrouded in darkness our archers are basically firing arrows and hoping for them to to reach someone and uh also we're <laughs> faced with many more mammoths than the visual effects budget uh, yeah had had time to uh and giants <laughs> yes so so many mammoths so many giants think of it as pelinor fields but outside of the wall it's amazing when when day finally comes and you have septon Celador, who Let's face it. I mean, he is whining like a little bitch when, when he sees what what's out there. I mean, in all fairness, I, maybe it's just the way that it's written. Um, but just just to take in right the, the the amount of of people, the sheer vastness of what is now beyond the wall and and approaching the the gate to try and get through. It says beneath the trees were all the wildlings in the world. Raiders and giants, wargs and skin changers, mountain men, salt sea sailors, ice river cannibals, cave dwellers with dyed faces, dog chariots from the frozen shore, hornfoot men with their souls like boiled leather, all the queer wild folk Mance had gathered to break the wall. That's a lot of people. Yeah. It's all yeah. the people. <laughs> I mean, it helps that it's from John's perspective because he's able to pick out the different groups as he's seen them before. Um, I mean, I'm sure for, for Septon Celador, it's just a whole big effing mess of people. But Septon Celador kind of gets his shit handed to him earlier from Donald Noy <laughs> when he starts that prayer and Donald Noy says, any man here stays his sword, I'll chuck his pucker darts right off his wall. <laughs> his Starting with you, Septon. I mean, there's something to be said for leading a prayer before battle, kind of. That that brings with it's like it your its last own chance. set of like... That, yeah, that brings with it its own set of like peace and trying and like um, solidarity in, in, in men who are religious. But... Donald Noy kind of reminds him that even though you were formerly a, mm-hmm. a Septon or whatever, and they still call him that, you're a man of the Night's Watch, you're going to fight like the rest of us. Um, it's kind of that leading by example-ness that, jo- that um, Noy does that John kind of takes later and uses the next morning. You're you're right, though, about seeing it from John's perspective, though, because clearly he's had interaction with most, if not all, of these people, and right. he's also seen mammoths, he's seen giants, whereas probably most of the people on top of the wall with him have not. Oh, yeah. So, oh, and he's, he picks out their wail. Like, he is, what's that sound? Oh, it's, it's a mammoth. Yeah, right. Deal with it. It's the elephants from you just blow the, on paper. Is that no. Royal Pacific? That is, you roll up a tube of paper and do that. I used to draw elephants. You know, let's just forget about that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. We got elephants, or sorry, mammoths. We got mammoths on fire. Uh, yeah. You know, mammoths getting stuck with hundreds and hundreds of arrows. And of course, I feel bad for the mammoths, and I feel bad for the giants in a way. But but they're doing. I mean, they're the fact that these men can hold them off. Right, and, and the, the wall. And the basis, Think the wall. The wall. Yeah, the basis for for John's rallying cry is we're up here and they're down there. Um, it it really shows just how 
uh, beneficial as a good stronghold is. Um, in, when all is said and done, they're able to to beat insurmountable odds, and it doesn't feel hokey. It doesn't feel uh, part of it feels lucky, but not you know not in the way of oh it was unrealistic the odds were against them because they do have the wall. The wall has not fallen. When John hears the horns, he asks, "Is that Jorman's horn?" Because if it were, you know, the wall would be melting and like completely collapse. Uh, but it wasn't that horn. It was the horn that was, you know, just warning of approach. And for that reason, the, the wall is still there and they were able to defend it successfully. Man, all I have to say is that, you know, on, on the topic of the horn, I know that we've referenced magical things in this series thus far. It's an old song of ice and fire. But if mm. someone blows a horn and that wall comes down <laughs> because someone, yeah. I mean, that's, you know what I'm saying? That is, that is extreme. I cannot wait for something that's like that. That's a powerful horn. It's a powerful <laughs> horn. Tuned to the right key, right? Just the right frequency that the ice and the magic is all, it's binding it all together. That's what I think of. Yeah, no, you I'm just, also thinking of a donkey wheel. I, I always think of bring, donkey wheels. The donkey wheels is always in my, not far from my mind when we're talking about being in the wall, just embedded in the ice like that. Before we go on any further, does anyone mind if I read a bit of John's exposition when he began to be the man that he is? Do it. One of the men on the wall says, how can we stop so many? The wall will stop them, John heard himself say. He turned and said it again, louder. The wall will stop them. The wall defends itself. Hollow words, but he needed to say them almost as much as his brothers needed to hear them. Mance wants to unman us with his numbers. Does he think we're stupid? He was shouting now, his leg forgotten, and every man was listening. The chariots, the horsemen, all those fools on foot. What are they going to do to us up here? Any of you ever seen a mammoth climb a wall? He laughed. <laughs> Pip and Owen and half a dozen more laughed with him. They're nothing. They're less used than our straw brothers here. They can't reach us. They can't hurt us. And they don't frighten us, do they? Grin shouts, no. <laughs> They're down there and we're up here, John said. And so long as we hold the gate, they cannot pass. They shall not pass. Sorry, he says they cannot pass. They were all shouting then. Roaring his own words back at him, waving swords and longbows in the air as their cheeks flushed red. John saw Keg standing there with a war horn slung beneath his arm. Brother, he told them, sound for battle. Grinning, Keg lifted the horn to his lips and blew two long blasts that meant wildlings. How, how, how bold is that? We know that it's wildlings out there. John has seen Varimir's six skins. He's seen, he knows he's feeling torment in his brain as he's seeing these men come against the wall and thinking of things that torment would say. But he, they blow for wildlings just to let the wildlings know. It's like, all right, we're blowing for wildlings. It's just, I don't know. Yeah. It's epic. And they captured it. They made it an epic episode in the show for sure. But this speech with Jon Snow and what follows and, and the swagger of kegs picking up that horn. I mean, this is just, I don't know. It's good. Satisfying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He he realizes that he that he has to rally his men. There there's a sense of fear, right? There's a sense of the reality that unless he's able to empower these these people to to fight, there's a good chance that maybe it, it'll take a little bit of time, but the wildlings could break through, and so they need to do everything in their power to deter them from from getting to the gate. And it's just. Uh, it's really cool to watch uh, on TV, obviously, yeah, as, as they throw down these barrels of oil, set Sith. them aflame. They have the scythe that, you know, the, the one thing we Love didn't really thing. have, 
in in the in at least in this chapter was people climbing up the wall. Uh, I thought that was really cool in the show how they were able to do that, and they basically sliced off a piece of the wall as the scythe was mm-hmm. chopping through. But uh, you know, to the what Zach was just reading, I think the 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 reality that John comes to is that this battle that he had faced previously, where he got injured with the Thens, were nothing. I think in the in the chapter it's referred to as a dagger in the dark. You know, trying to catch them unaware. Uh, whereas this battle that's starting right now, and this is only maybe act one of, of the battle, uh, is the one that really matters. It's uh, at least in the moment, right? We know the, there's another battle coming that, that's going to mean everything, but the battle with Mance, that is what matters right now. And I, I just love that this comes from the guy, like we were saying earlier, this comes from the guy who earlier this morning kept hearing in his head, you know, I am not a Stark, or he couldn't get out of bed. And then he really finds his place and he finds, you know, this family that he wishes that he was part of, you know, he finds that in the Night's Watch. And it's just, like I said earlier, satisfying to see him do so well and take that role. Naturally fall into it. Yeah. Like, it's like not even a thing. He tells them, any man who wastes an arrow will need to climb down and fetch it back. Do you hear me? Like, (laughs) it's just, he's so on in that moment and he's, he's getting them. He's telling them exactly what to do. He says, you got to get the ram and the giants because otherwise we're done. This makes what happens later so much more painful to Jon Snow because, you know, apart from the hysteria of what we've seen in the promotional cycle for the TV show, George is writing a rather heroic and awesome character. And much of that is written right now in this chapter, becoming the person that he is. And of course, I don't know what comes following uh, book wise. Hannah and Micah know. So you guys can either nod approvingly or sort of as normal. Uh, Micah, just shake your head and be like, ha, ha, ha. You'll, you'll, fi- you'll find <laughs> out on your dance. own. You'll, do a little dance. You'll find it on your own. But just for now, uh, for this chapter and until the end of this chapter, until John uh, sees the carnage of the tunnel and learns that Donald Noy passed, and until he has shares words with Maester Eamon of what will come in the future, uh, he is very much you know the kind of person that should be leading this and entire group Mm -hmm. and uh i think a lot of them feel that way and i think that there's going to be a true reference to what the leader was at the wall uh during the battle with mance now that we've especially that we've read it and we've learned like full context and uh i don't know it's cool it's full circle how about the fact when he's walking through the tunnel it's referred to as if he's walking into the mouth of an ice dragon yeah there was a mention to the ice dragon in the davos chapter too davos said something like an ice dragon taking flight when he's when he's talking about Dragonstone, it's kind of weird the idea of an, an ice dragon. I hope that we see one. Yeah, me too. You will fly. Hannah mentioned the dream at at the beginning of the chapter, and and there's the uh, the moment where he comes across a direwolf, and the direwolf was gray and ghastly, spotted with blood, his golden eyes shining sadly through the dark, and John makes a conclusion that it it has something to do with Bran because Bran's direwolf was gray. Mm. Um, But interested to get your thoughts here. I'm not sure if John yet knows what happened at the Red Wedding and that Rob is dead. Uh, So I I wondered if this was John encountering the spirit of Grey Wind or or something to that effect. Don't make me cry, Micah. (laughs) Yeah, no, he says that <laughs> he hears the drums, they're having a feast, they're having a feast without me. And, I, of course, you connected to Winterfell because in the very beginning of the series, there's that feast and he's not invited. 
but if it's an illusion or you know a reference to the red wedding i'm I'm pretty impressed by that actually that is so beautiful i really liked rob and john and the book and the story yeah when john almost rode south when he heard that rob was calling the banners he was like all right <laughs> oh that would have been that would have been a different story for a different time we mentioned being down in the tunnel but uh, just Donald Noy, the the end of of Donal's uh, life, how his spine was broken, but he sort of spent his last effort driving the sword that killed the giant, that killed the last of the giants, Mag the Mighty. And even though Meister Eamon, who's with John, can't see it, I think he has this sort of sixth sense about yeah. recognizing how important their loss is... I mean, I guess he he can hear everybody's analysis of the scene, too. But he feels it. Dude, he feels it. He really he really feels it, and I think every every single one of those brothers feels the weight of what they've just done. And, like, John, it's sort of John's task to work on cleanup. And he sort of, at one point, just leaves it all and walks outside and comes back. But he he says to himself, um, you know, it's good that Meister Raymond can't see this, but it's just kind of... They've survived. They have this victory through John's leadership, and... It turns out that, right, what what Donal said to him at the the top of the wall, the wall is yours. He John has those words repeated to him by by Meister Eamon. So from one Targaryen to another, and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you're familiar with with oh, Micah's man. All those casual insistence. In you're not a Stark. You're not a Stark. I was thinking, oh shit, he's probably not a Stark. <laughs> Actually, along those lines, I, I just wanted to bring up that I highlighted here in the text when John was getting frustrated with the um, the amount of trebuchets that they had. Uh, yeah. um, he he's says it was a futile thought. <laughs> He might as well wish for another thousand men and maybe a dragon or three. <laughs> yeah, subtle. All right, oh, well, man. we've reached Owens, everyone listening. Yeah. You can stop holding your breath. Mm-hmm. Our favorite moments are upon you. And I will hazard some kind of a guess uh, that Micah will mention something about John being a Targaryen within the next few minutes. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> no, possible. not at all. Uh, well, at least for the Davos chapter... My own does go to Davos okay. uh, for thinking that perhaps he needed a haircut before he stood in front of the king. <laughs> it was just the most random moment in that entire chapter. Yeah, yeah. He reaches for his fingers, if I'm remembering correctly, and he's like, oh, they're not there. And his hand just keeps going and touches the back of his head. Well, gotta look sharp. Gotta look sharp. I'll go next. My uh, my Davos own goes to Tyrion, actually. Um, or Stannis, can't decide, because basically it's just Tyr- uh, Stannis's line about Tyrion. Uh, he's a dangerous man. I learned that myself on Blackwater. It's just that both Stannis learns from his mistakes, and somehow Tyrion's actions were able to speak louder than all of the other sort of common talks about Tyrion. He actually made sort of... Um, he just made Stannis realize how good he was. So, yeah. uh, and that gets acknowledged. So, own for that. Hannah, our, our esteemed guest. Okay, so my own, I think, has to go to Edric for when they come in to take him away. The first thing he says, he's puzzled, and he's like, "But we were doing sums." <laughs> <laughs> I just love that he's just like so into his work. So that, my own goes to him for that. The that math chapter. whiz, not bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, Edric Storm, not bad for your first own. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> And Zach. This is hard. This is difficult. Um, but I think I'm going to give it to Saldor San for always being there when you need him. Yeah. <laughs> also, to Stannis for having a sword <laughs> like Lightbringer. That's pretty awesome. 
just Saldar. Don't forget the second one. And now for the John chapter. Where do we even begin mm. here? I feel like I'm going to the Eric direction here when I'm giving this own. You just but... gave your own to the point of view character, and you know I don't do that. <laughs> you give it to like a blade of grass that was growing on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> Please if there was us. a blade of grass growing on I the wall, I know that you would, would give, give it your own. own. I, I would totally that. give that my own, yeah. and it would deserve your own. But please, what do you got? What do you got, Micah? Micah? Was it that? Was that your own? Did I make you feel? I'm sorry. No, it, <laughs> <laughs> no, my own actually goes to spare boot. Um, I love it, uh, and it's when he says, "The bloody buggers got my leg." The wooden one. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, it's like man. a reveal and everyone cheers. And everyone cheers. Yes. Yeah. yeah, everyone cheers. No, that's so funony. He's like, ah, oh, the arrow took me leg. The wooden one. <laughs> <laughs> he reaches down, pulls it out. There's yeah. drama and yeah. intake of breath. Yeah. The wooden one. No, that's... I love... Is this the so first good. time we're hearing about Spare Boot too? Because... Uh, John, when he gets out of bed, is waiting at the elevator. Like with him. <laughs> he misses the elevator. It's like a classic back to school drama where you're like late for your first day. Marty, but spare boot, kegs, satin, moly, all these new people who are brave warriors. Um, my own is gonna go to uh Donald Noy because it's actually said while John is waiting uh for the elevator, he talks about the people who have stayed. From the battle involving the people of Molestown, we have Zay, who's a great um, crossbow uh, wheeler. And um, Donald Noy actually took in three children, uh, it is said, because nobody else wanted them. And he was sort of like a de facto uh, dad to them. Uh, Short-lived, but uh, I think that's quite own-worthy. My own goes to Gren slash John, I guess, kind of for their... Gren John. Yeah, their little exchange here when he gives the wall over to him and... Gren says, you know, what do I do if the wildlings attack again? And John's just like, stop them. Like, That's all you got to do. So, so matter of fact. Yeah. Just, there's nothing else to do but stop them. I was thinking that was such a good direction because he's he, when you give it, when you tell someone you have to just have to stop them, then they have to think on their own mm-hmm. when they're up there. And they pretty much. Right. Have to, yeah. They pretty much have to do it. He's not like giving him strategy like, OK, this many arrows, you know, like fire this thing. He's like, no, just stop them. You got it. Well, I'd like to give my own to Jon Snow uh, for two reasons. Uh, first reason for doing what he did on the wall, because uh, I think a lot of lives were saved. Mm. I feel like it's kind of lame giving it to Jon Snow. Are you guys a little let down because you know that I was really into what he did? No. It's good. I think it's fair. Respectable. Why not? I mean, look, look what he was able to do. Right. I mean, yeah, if you count all the lives saved who weren't even at the wall, everyone south of the wall. Um, right. Well, it's it's not definitively over yet, but I just feel like there was a lot of, especially if you think about the last chapter, that there's just hasn't been a lot of hope for the host that they're going against. And I feel like even for a moment, there was some hope within these va- ragtag men. And I just, I don't know, I thought that that was is inspiring, um, even as a reader. And also uh, for the beginning of the chapter, his dream that we were just talking about, all of those references to even if it's quite possibly Grey Wind, that's just really romantic and cool of George to do uh, in this way and in this place. And uh, again, just sort of to the chapter overall. I'm not sure if this is our last chapter, our last look into the Battle of Castle Black Maybe there's more, but if there isn't more and this is it, it's been, I've looked forward to it so much after I heard that it was coming in the show and then seeing it in the show, you know, the build up all through season four and then seeing it. And now that we've had it, you know, be alive for well over a year now, it's cool to like 
get at this point where we're seeing Mammoth's finally in the book. It has not disappointed. It's been as great as I thought it could have been, and even better. So uh, a lot of owns there. But what are the folks at home feeling toward these chapters? That's a good question, Zach, mm. as to what the faithful listeners at home think of these two chapters. Uh, we did get a number of tweets, or twones, as I like twones. to call them. Mm. Uh, the first from Vivid Verdandi at Vivid Loves You on Twitter. She says, early own, not early anymore, uh, for the Davos chapter goes to Stannis. Melisandre, three is three. Stannis, I know how to count, woman. Haha, <laughs> <laughs> ha, I laughed out loud. Yeah. And then for the John chapter goes to Mag the Mighty and Donald Noy, for fighting and dying in true Viking style, the badassery, so real. So real. We heard from Brienne of Tarth, our beauty Brienne friend over on Twitter. <laughs> she says, my Davos own goes to Stannis's teeth, this is hilarious, for still existing after 30, <laughs> 30 odd years of grinding and clenching. Yeah. <laughs> Damn chain. Amazing. Fewer. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. And then her own for John goes to Mag and Donald Noy, whose fight should have gotten a chapter all to itself. We only got to see the aftermath. George is like, I can't bring myself to write that chapter. K26DP. All right, then. On Twitter. Can't be anyone but Davos for Davos 6. For the wall. Double owns and drinks to Donald Noy and Mag the Mighty. Woo! We got some respect going around. Judah Vlad, 95, says, For Davos, my own goes to Davos for saving Edric Storm and reminding Stannis of his duty to the people of the realm. Mm. And then he says, For John, my own goes to the Wildling Army. Imagine seeing over 100 mammoths with giants on their backs. That's insane. <laughs> <laughs> uh, will someone draw us a picture of that? Uh, and send it in. We may or may not use it as the poster for our next live show. Yeah, I, I want I want mammoths climbing walls. I want <laughs> oh my god! Just repelling or never know that would be down. But yeah, like mammoths repelling down the inside of the wall. That's what I want. All right, and then over on Facebook, Reese Palazzolo own goes to Lord Davos for the bluff he pulls on Edric Storm. Mm, Have yep. you seen Stannis when he is angry? <laughs> you won't like him when he is angry. Hashtag Stannis smash. Say that five if times I were fast. in the business of giving owns to point of view chapters, like anytime Davos shows them the hand, shows somebody the hand, it's like talk to the hand <laughs> is, is an own worthy moment. Uh, he does it on the show plenty of times, but in this chapter to see him do it to Edric to scare him was masterfully done. And for the John chapter, own goes to Donald one-armed giant slayer Noy for, well, going up against a giant with one arm. <laughs> Hashtag, and now its watch has ended. We heard from Jeff Lightfoot. My Davos own goes to Dragonstone. Rereading has made me want to see certain locations again or for the first time this next season. Its history and sense of making something else to all the gargoyles and such Make me wonder what will happen there oh, so when Danny lands her dragons. And John Owen goes to the first douche who wastes an arrow and has to climb down the bottom of the wall to get it back. Yeah, too bad for him. <laughs> Jeff Lightfoot, you'd never disappoint, sir. Pamela Carrion, her own is for embodying what true sir should be. Davos gets an own and forehead slap for thinking a few acres, a timbered roof, a sir before my name. I should have been content. It was oh. Stannis who kept demanding more of Davos, not the other way around. And own to Bran for visiting John's dreams disguised as summer. 
How many of you at home are wishing you could visit John's dreams as anything, let alone a direwolf? Zach, I w- I'm just uh, happy that none of the wildlings had long shot. Me too. And, you know, was able to use it to uh, pull themselves up to the top. It's like of the hook wall. shot, let alone a long shot. We're in bad shape here, but uh, for the time being, it's pretty safe. So uh, those are the ways uh, that you can send in your owns for the show. Uh, Twitter, twitter.com slash Game of Owns, and Facebook, facebook.com slash Game of Owns, as well as email us. We'd love to hear from you in longer formats. Contact at GameOfOwns.com is the way to do that. And uh, we have uh, an ARIA chapter up next. So... Mm-hmm. The question is now answered as to whether or not she survived the axe to the back of her skull. This will be a very short chapter otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. And then Tyrion, who uh, we will hear from for the first time after being accused of murdering King Joffrey. You can follow along now properly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> On our new website, gamebones.com. Oh, gosh. I mean. So sexy. Yeah. So if you're into sexy things. Give it a peek. Wink, wink. Speaking of peeking, the uh, New York Comic Con uh, poster is uh, worth peeking at. <laughs> also, the event it. itself. If yes. commercial material isn't quite what you're excited about, then please join us in New York City on October 9th at the Hard Rock Cafe in Times Square. I know I'm definitely looking forward to New York Comic Con. The live show is going to be a hell of a good time if that poster is any indication. <laughs> I didn't know I had moves like that, but apparently I do. I, I knew you had moves like that. Listen, yep, yep. I knew, and uh, I hope to see them. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, that's that. That should be worth the price of admittance, <laughs> just by itself. Yeah, you will, you will see it. Uh, if there's one thing Christian Nairn excels at, it's getting people up and uh, to dance. Yeah, and if you needed any help, Briomer Gang will also be there. <laughs> that might have a, so. a better chance of getting some people to yeah. dance so you're all going to be in good shape and we're all going to be in good shape the it's so fun right now being in, in this off season and going through a storm of swords and having all the news piling in and being able to make episodes like this like i'm so glad the stars got aligned for you to be able to come on the show hannah because i know that you're a friend of ours and you're a massive fan of a song of ice and fire like it's good to be able to share the conversation with more people because i you know micah and eric and i we just kind of keep to ourselves on this podcast but you know reinforcements are good no, you guys, what you guys are doing is great. And thanks for letting me come on and join in the conversation. It was definitely great to uh to have you. I like that uh that black and white uh what what was the official term for it? Uh categorical imperative. Uh-huh. <laughs> Got to look at my notes real quick. <laughs> <laughs> you you raise the intelligence level of the podcast about tenfold by, yeah. just by mentioning that. It was like, "Wait, hold on." Are these, is this real analysis? It's just a name drop to make people think I'm smart, that's all. Oh, well, well, now I need spark notes yeah. when I'm listening to Game of Thrones, so thanks for that. Man. I got you. I studied philosophy, I got you. And if you really love our show and are interested in uh, supporting us, you can check out uh, gameofbones.com slash support, filled with all forms of great content, behind the scenes, chapter readings, and... Uh, depending on which uh, level of support you'd like to give us, small council meetings, uh, which mm. we've talked about previously. It's a seat of power for shaping the future of the show. It is. And, uh, you know, through your support, it's, it's how we make things like New York Comic Con and other live shows that we do throughout the course of the year possible. We love you. And if you love us, another way to get a hold of us is through iTunes. You can, uh, we are available on the iTunes store. 
you can go and find us on there. Just search Game of Owns under podcasts. You can rate and review us. And this is actually something that's really important because it's how uh, people looking for new shows can find us uh, is through the rate and reviews uh, system. So it is the month of September. Nothing less than five stars is acceptable if you're on there. Rate us five stars and be sure to leave your review with why. We deserve all five of them. It's very bold of us, but uh, <laughs> how else would you defeat the wildlings? Right? Hannah's laughing. We did a good job. <laughs> Again, big thanks to Hannah for putting up with us for the past 90 minutes or so. Hopefully yeah, you enjoyed Hannah, it. Where can people find you? Um, On the internet. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> just just search Hannah. Yeah, you got the first one that comes up. That's me. It's uh, Hannah.com slash hello. Hannah. Hannah.com slash Hannah. That's a great URL. <laughs> I don't know. No, it's been really great. So thanks, guys. I've enjoyed it. Thanks for putting up with me. So that's it. Arya. You hear the music. Tyrion. Next week, get ready because you know if it's a Tyrion chapter. <laughs> People are going to die. No. <laughs> or you're going to get some great fucking 